Our reading this morning will be from Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 22, reading through verse 34. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her, and she felt in her body, and she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What well, is good to see everyone this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We have a couple of visitors. We're glad to see them populating uh, back there toward the back. We appreciate them being here. As one begins to study Mark 5, He'll see a number of people who seemingly had insurmountable, incurable, and impossible to alleviate issues in their lives. There was the demonic man, the diseased woman, and of course uh, the dead girl. All three of those cases were impossible to cure in the days of Jesus, but not much has changed. And in today's world they still remain impossible to change. In our time, the demonic would be sentenced, would be assigned to a mental institution. The woman uh, would be assigned to a terminal care unit. And of course, the girl would be assigned to a cemetery for burial. But as we notice the events of the chapter, we'll discover that Jesus is able to address those problems. There's nothing impossible for Jesus to alleviate. And He did rectify each of those situations. In our case, and in these cases for sure, uh, Jesus was the great physician. And He was able to bring health and life to miserable people. Now this morning I want us to focus primarily on the woman with the issue of blood. And as we look at her, it's almost as if His encounter with her is parenthetical to the overall understanding of the passage. After all, He was going to the house of Jairus to help that child uh, who belonged to Jairus, his daughter. She was sick, she had a fever, and, and he was going to help her in some way. But on his way, he was interrupted as he was touched by this woman who had the issue of blood. Now, in one sense, though, every word he spoke, every wonder he performed, was parenthetical to the mission on which he was when he came into this world because his mission and his goal was simply to go to the cross. And that's why He came. That's the only reason He came here. But along the way, there were people who were hurting. 
There were people who needed things, and he was there to offer them that help. You might say that all those people, those who are in our passage today, all in the world, have issues of their own. And I've titled the sermon this morning, We All Have Issues. And Jesus is the answer to those very issues. Now, I believe it's very important for us to keep in mind Jesus' purpose for coming to the world. His purpose in coming was not to heal the physically sick. It was not to feed the physically hungry. And it was not to find the physically lost. Now, He did all of those things. He did all of those things and more. But His purpose in coming to earth was to heal the spiritually sick, feed the spiritually hungry, and find the spiritually lost. And so, uh, Jesus is not going to miraculously heal physical maladies today. He's not going to feed 5,000 with two fish and a few loaves. He's not going to find those who are lost in some miraculous way. He's not going to impact our lives through the miraculous, but He still does impact our lives. He still does work within the kingdoms of men, and He still does things that will transform the lives of people who will allow Him to transform them. That's what happened to the woman with the issue of blood. She did things that she needed to do. She was a weak, timid, dying woman, and she went through that crowd of people, and she reached out and she touched Jesus, and by her touching Him, He touched her, and her life was transformed. If any in the world want to be transformed today, there's only one way to do it, We have to reach out and touch Jesus and we have to allow Him to touch us and He can transform our lives. As we address this notion of we all have issues, and I believe this woman is a perfect example of how to have those issues alleviated, I want us to notice first the horror of her disease. Her affliction presented itself in the form of an issue of blood. Now that literally means that she was hemorrhaging from somewhere inside her body. It was a continuous flow of blood that was leaving her body. It was, uh, uh, and of course blood is the life source. The life is in the blood according to Moses, Leviticus 17 verse 11. And her life blood was leaving her. She was sick. And that was... The reason this prohibition against eating blood is because that's where the life is. The life is in the blood. So whatever was causing this woman's hemorrhaging, this flow of blood, this loss of life, she was a very, very sick woman, and she was in great need of help. Of course, there are some very serious health issues that people face today, but we have to, again, keep in mind Jesus' purpose. His purpose wasn't come to the earth to make everybody healthy, physically speaking. He came to earth to make people healthy spiritually. He needed, or He desired, and we need, for our spiritual lives to be viable. We need to be able to do the things necessary to get us into heaven. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, our Lord is not going to intervene into our lives in some miraculous way. Good people leave this earth through death. Terrible things happen to good people. Great things happen to people who are not so good. 
But that doesn't mean that Jesus does not impact our lives. But He's not going to intervene miraculously. The miraculous was a very necessary but a very temporary aspect of the forming of the church. From the point that Peter preached and the other apostles preached the first sermon recorded in Acts chapter 2 up until the very time when Jude could say and talk about the faith that was once for all delivered in Jude 3, the miraculous was very necessary. But once the word of God was canonized, it was put together, it was available for people, the miraculous ended, there was no need for it. No one needs the miraculous when we can read what we need to read. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17, not through seeing a miracle. All the miracles in the world doesn't produce one ounce of faith, it's hearing the word of God. And we see that throughout the life of Jesus and on through the balance of the New Testament. <clears throat> However, again, that doesn't mean that Christ doesn't engage in our lives. We have the horror of sin in our lives. We have an affliction that must be addressed. And like this woman, her affliction brought a whole lot of anguish into her life. She suffered physically from constant blood loss. She must have been very weak. She must have been very anemic. She would have been very pale. She would have been very weak and had a lack of energy in performing daily tasks. And the least effort would have absolutely worn her out. She was on the verge or the precipice of death. Now this word plague used by Christ to describe her affliction uh, comes from the root word meaning whip. And it intends or refers to the Roman flagellum. It was uh, such a plague on her, it's as if the disease was scourging her and beating her down on a daily basis. Now that's what sin will do to anybody. Sin, and that's the application we need to look at, sin will whip us and beat us down to where we have nothing left. Nothing at all. That's, that's absolutely what Satan wants. And we see it in the parable of the lost son, Luke chapter 15. That young man had everything that he could have ever hoped to have. He had a good relationship with his father. He was in a home his father had given to him. He was cared for. He was loved. And he went to the far country of sin and he lost every aspect of his life and who he was. And that's what sin will do. Now we learned that this diseased woman had tried to find a cure for her malady. In fact, she had spent her life savings and the text tells us that she suffered at the hands of those supposed doctors. Now, they were not doctors in the sense of what we think of. When we think of a doctor, they were more like a witch doctor, someone who practiced superstition, and they just went from one superstitious cure to the next, trying to find some way to alleviate this woman's problem. Now, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, he was an important Jewish sage in the era of the Second Temple, and that's when this was going on. He uh, was a primary contributor to the core text of rabbinical Judaism. And within the Talmud, he offered some very interesting cures to what this woman had. In the Talmud, he recommended, take gum, Alexandria, 
of alum and of crocus, hortensis, the weight of azuzi, which was a fractional silver coin. Each, he said, take each of those, let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that hath an issue of blood. But if that fail, take of Persian onions nine logs, boil them in wine and give it to her to drink and say, Arise from thy flux. But should this fail, set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold a cup of wine in her hand and let somebody come behind and affright her and say, Arise from thy flux. But should this do no good, take a handful of cumin and a handful of crocus and a handful of uh, fenugreek, let these be boiled and given her to drink and say, Arise from thy flux. But should this also fail, Dig seven trenches and burn in them some cuttings of vine, not yet circumcised, meaning not yet four years old, and let her take in her hand a cup of wine and let her be led from this trench and set down over that and let her be removed from that and set down over another. And in each removal say unto her, Arise from thy flux. Now, it doesn't go on for if that fails, but it should have. You know, it is difficult for us to imagine the indignities that this woman suffered at the hands of those supposed doctors. And we all have issues in this life. And we're all looking for cures in this life. And like this woman, those people who impressed upon her, those doctors, people in the world today, have people who impress on others ways to find that cure. Different methods to find the cure from sin. That's the application here. There are countless doctrines foisted upon the people on how to get to heaven, how to please God. And it's no better spiritually for people today than it was for that woman physically at her time. Paul warned this, Galatians 1, beginning with verse 6. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you, that ye have received, let him be accursed. For I do, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. There are untold, untold ways to become a, quote, Christian in the eyes of the denominational world. And none of them fit what Christ commanded. That's why Paul had to make that statement. If someone tries to give you another gospel which isn't another gospel, let that person be accursed. There's only one cure. This woman understood that. She came to understand there was only cure for her malady and that was Christ. She would have died otherwise. She would have died. She would have left this world physically because no man could cure her of what her problem was. It was incurable at that time. Christ could cure her and he did that through a miraculous means. But now we live in a world where we don't have to worry about a hemorrhaging problem. Even if we had one, that's not the main problem. 
The main problem is my lifestyle. How am I living in this world? Am I sinful or am I godly? Am I being obedient to Christ or am I not? And when someone gives us an answer that is contradictory to what Jesus said, they're just like the witch doctors of this woman's day. But that's not the only way she suffered. Prior to touching and being touched by Jesus, she also suffered socially. She was deemed unclean. She couldn't be around people. She couldn't be touched. If she touched someone, they would become defiled under the law of Moses. She suffered emotionally. She had had this malady for 12 years. And understanding or considering the, uh, uh, the average lifespan at that time, she probably had that malady since puberty. And so she was likely a very young woman, but the lifespan wasn't very long. And so she'd been suffering all of this time. Her life was one rejection after another. But she'd also suffered financially. She'd, she'd become poverty-stricken and bankrupt because she spent every dime she had on these worthless remedies by these useless doctors. And she understood she was living under a death sentence. You know, you have to give it to someone who understands where they are in life. Whether they act on that or not, at least they know and they understand where they are in life. And at some point, if life is left in them, they can make amends for that and change where they are in life and be where God needs them to be. She knew where she was. She was dying. There were no bones about it. She was dying. She wasn't going to live a whole lot longer. And so what we have to do, and here's the application, we have to understand we're under a death sentence unless we become obedient to Christ and live the way He wants us to live. We have no idea how long we'll live in this world. People die at a young age all the time. People, whether or not they refuse God intentionally or ignorantly, they live under a death sentence. And we do not want to be there. But she had a horrific disease, but she also had hope. That's our second point. And there was a reason for her hope. She didn't have a blind hope. It wasn't a blind leap in the dark, hoping that you, that you land on something that is uh, solid. Somewhere, someone, somehow delivered to her the information that Christ could help her in her problem. Now, she might have heard how Jesus had healed the leper, Mark 1, 40 through 42. She may have heard about the man that was across the lake in the first part of our chapter who was demonic. She could have heard about that. She might have heard from someone who was just like her. She might have heard from someone who was on the fringe of society, who had been kept away from everybody, who might have been healed by Christ, and then that individual came and told her, I know where you can get help. But however she might have heard, she understood that Jesus was the one who she needed to go to. It might have even been some of those others who had touched or been touched by Jesus, Luke 6 verse 19, and been healed of some problem. Are we so different from her today? Really, are we so different? She heard about Christ that gave her hope. She had every reason to believe that it was true. There were facts based on, uh, on which that was based that caused her to believe that. There were eyewitnesses. There were people that saw it. Are we so different today? We've heard about Christ. Someone told us about Christ. 
Either we were told about it or in some way we studied through the Bible and came to the understanding of what God wanted. Someone told someone in the time of Jesus what he could do or someone saw it for themselves and they were uh, come to the understanding that he was who they needed. We're not so different. Romans 10, 17, we mentioned that. It, that's where we find our faith. We've read about Christ. We've seen all the miracles through the eye of faith, not just a few, all those that are recorded for us. But faith in Jesus is, is based on hope, isn't it? And this woman had hope, hope for something better. And Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, defined faith saying, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, verse 1. Hebrews 11. And then he went on to state that without faith it is impossible to please him. Speaking of God, verse 6. I think it will be a sad day if we stand before Jesus and we learn that we had an opportunity to impact someone's life in some way by telling them about Jesus and we passed up those opportunities. We don't need to do that. This woman had every reason to have hope in Christ, and that reason left, led her to having a great resolve. Regardless, again, of how she learned about Jesus, she knew she had to get to Him. She knew that He was her only hope, and she believed with all her heart that He could save her, and she would not not be saved. But let me ask you something. What if she stopped there? What if she just stopped with the idea that I believe Jesus can save me. I see all the evidences. I believe the people who told me of the things he did. It amazes me when I look out into the denominational world and I see so many people that stop at this point in this woman's life. They stop at the point where, where she realized that Christ was who she needed. And they'll just stop. And we don't hear the rest of the story because if we hear the rest of the story, we learn some very important facts. She did something to get to Christ. Her faith alone did not get her where she needed to be. And she demonstrated this great courage in moving forward to get to Christ. She was unclean under the law of Moses. Anyone she touched would have been defiled. And she was going through a crowd of people and, and knowing this crowd of people, she very well was in danger of touching someone and defiling them and then that crowd turning on her and maybe even taking her out and stoning her to death. But she allowed her faith to push her to greater obedience. She didn't just stop it. I believe Jesus is the one who can help me. By the very nature of her disease, it took everything within her power to make her way through that crowd of people. She must have been elbowing her way through there just to get to Christ. See, we have to have that same resolve. We have to come to the understanding that Jesus is the only avenue through which we get to the Father and by whom we can be saved, Acts 4, 12. Again, Let's keep in mind, this woman was a Jew. She was already a child of God. So what does that tell us? Even the child of God needs God. Even the faithful child of God better understand. We need God in our lives constantly. 
We were having Bible class the other night. Brother Carl made a great statement. Most people want God in their lives, but they want Him in last place. They want Him at the bottom of the list. They want God when they want God. They want to keep God back out of their way. They don't want to have to deal with Him until something terrible in their lives happen. And what are some of the first words out of someone's mouth when something devastating happens in their life? Oh, God. Now they want to reach out to God. Now they want to want to try to touch the hem of the garment. See, we need to understand. We need to put forth that resolve and have that resolve. That means that the child of God can become unfaithful. And when that happens, we need to go back to God. We need to return to Christ. We need Him just as bad, or the unfaithful Christian needs Him just as bad as the, uh, the one who doesn't believe. And so we need God in our lives. Like that poor woman, when we go to Jesus, there is always healing if we allow Him to heal us. That's our third point. She learned the healing power of Jesus is powerful. When she was near enough, she reached out her hand and she touched His garment. Now this word touch means <clears throat> excuse me, to attach to or to cling. That means that she wasn't leaving. She wasn't going to let go till she got what she came for. And that was healing. In that instant, she received what none of those supposed doctors could do for her. She was immediately made whole. She was immediately cleansed. And she knew it. She knew it. When we come into contact with the blood of Christ upon obedience to the gospel. You have to have faith. We talked about that. Faith leads one to repentance, wanting to turn around, to follow after God, Acts 3.19. Repentance leads to confession. Confession leads to baptism. And it is in baptism where we come into contact with the blood of Christ. And when we do that, we are healed instantly. And we can know that. John made a statement 1 John 2, verse 3, he said, And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. Jesus' healing was a very powerful, very powerful thing, but it was very personal to this lady. As soon as she touched Him, Christ recognized. Of course, He recognized anyway. But He recognized that the virtue had left Him, or some virtue had left Him, it had gone out of him. Now this word virtue means strength and power. It's the root word from which we get our word dynamite. Dynamos. And so he recognized that. And of course in this particular context it was a miraculous power. And he asked that question. Who touched my clothing? Well there were countless people surrounding Christ. They were pressed upon him. And so... Uh, how would anyone know? And that was a fact made clear by the apostles. Or the disciples said, Look at all these people and you ask, Who touched you? Verse 31. But her touch was different. Her touch, she reached out her hands and she didn't just touch him with her fingers, she touched him with the fingers of faith. An, obe an obedient faith. Not just a simple assent and understanding of, of who he was and that he could heal. She did something. She made every effort to get to him 
to receive what he had to offer. And she recognized him as the source of her salvation. She was dying. Sin is killing people every single day. And she recognized him as the source of salvation in front of all of those people. Acts 8.37, we see the Ethiopian eunuch doing that. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Paul said that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, Romans 10.10. Paul understood there was something that needed to happen after that. There was something that needed to be done, right? And we see that on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38. We see people following through and being immersed in water so they could become a part of God's family, Acts 2, verse 47. This woman's battle against a life-taking disease had run its course, but it ended well. She was relieved of that malady. She allowed her faith to lead her to action, and that action led to her being healed. We all have issues. We all have issues and all of us must allow our faiths to lead us to action. What if this lady hadn't, hadn't continued on? What if as she was in the crowd she simply looked around and said, you know, I believe Jesus can heal me. I know He's the source but there are so many people. I don't want to, to walk through that crowd. I'm kind of afraid of that crowd of people. I've been shunned for the majority of my life and so I'm just going to go back home. She would have woken up the next morning in the same position she was when she woke up that morning, dying. And that happens all over the world. Billions and billions of people wake up every morning dying. We're all dying physically in a sense. But people are dying spiritually. The battle never ends either. The battle doesn't end. After initial obedience to the gospel, it doesn't stop. Issues don't go away. Whether it's personal issues, family issues, financial issues, issues with people we know, whatever the case may be, the issues do not stop. It's a constant battle and a struggle, and we have to rely on Jesus to address those issues. So how do I do that? How can I rely on Jesus to address my issues when I need to change something about me? I do it through the teaching of the Bible. That's how I allow Jesus to address my issues. He's taught me how I ought to live. He's taught me how I ought to behave. So let's let him handle it. That means let's be obedient to what he's told us to do. We have to allow the teaching and his life example to impact us. We all have issues, but we all want to get to heaven. We all need to be stronger and better Christians. And we see within this woman who had this issue of blood or this flow of blood, this great hemorrhaging, she knew that she was dying. God bless her for knowing, right? She wasn't going through this life ignoring this issue of blood. That was a big problem. And so she understood where she was. She understood where she needed to go, and she knew the path which to take to get there. That's what we need to do. That's the application. Let's use her for an example. Let's allow our reason of hope to lead us on to greater resolve and to have the healing power, that powerful healing power that's very personal allow us to do away with this horror of affliction and anguish that sin has given to all of us. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this day,
whether it's through initial obedience or return to God, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.